Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 23rd of June 2019. I hope you're all getting along through all the changes that are happening rapidly now, of course. You're certainly living through interesting times. Although, if you've been studying uh, reality for a long time, you'll know it's a kind of groundhog day. And we're building up to a, a repetition of what we've been doing for the last 20 odd years, or actually longer than that with wars, etc., as they go for Iran as well. One way or another, uh, it will be accomplished, because Iran was on the list from the, from the 1990s to be taken out, and they never give up the list, of course. Wesley Clark talked about it, the general, and it's still ongoing today. And uh, Iran has been under embargo for a long time, and that's devastating to these countries. Iraq was the same thing. We found that Madeleine Albright was questioned on television about the uh, half, well, well over half a million children. Eventually, it turned to be about a million, and and uh, and women too, uh, and the elderly had died because the embargo couldn't get medicine, couldn't get food in for a long, long time, and that's what happens. So they're trying to do the same with Iran, of course, for a long time, and Iran is left with the decision of well breaking out, obviously. And what they hope to do is make them Iran make that kind of decision, a desperate decision, which gives the, the credence for counterattack by the West, of course. And that's how strategy works in these kind of shows. Everything is public perception. But mind you, all of our news, all of our reality today is public perception management. And it's skewed by professionals. I don't know if you've noticed incredible changes in authority and uh, with the authoritative um, techniques that are being used now today on the whole of society. Uh, from children all the way up to adults now. We're, treated, we're all treated as children, actually, by um, professionals. But before I get any further in that direction, I have to remind you to help donate to me at cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. And when you're there, I always say that take a note of all the other links I have on that website. These are my official sites. And you can order the books and discs from these sites. Uh, if, if you buy from elsewhere, they're not mine. Someone else is putting them out. So everything's official is on cuttingfreedomatrix.com website. Take a note of them all. And uh, if anything happens to the comm site, at least you can get uh, my talks on the, on the other sites that will be left. You never know, you see. We're living these strange, interesting times, as I say. And you, you can buy the books and discs, as I say, or you can, or you can donate. It tells you how to do it at cuttingthroughmates.com. And the, the ways of payment or, and donation are listed there, too. Remember, you can also uh, send a personal check to me, if you have, still have checks, you can also get checks from your bank or you can get a postal money order from the post office and send that, it's, it's, it doesn't cost much and you, you uh, it's very cheap actually and if you're from outside Canada and you're sending it to Canada just ask for an international postal money order at the po- at post office and uh, they'll, they'll give it to you for the, the amount and so on and that can get cashed here you see because I can see other techniques coming into play as we get managed by the, the professional managers 
the, the nudge units, as they call it, you know, the behavior modification experts. And we have teams of them in every country now literally working on uh, managing us. We don't elect them. Uh, no government agency has come out to tell you to vote or even to have an, a say in these agencies getting established. They just appear, of course. And you still think you're living in democracies as you get managed. I gave talks on these before about these nudge units, behavioral insights teams. They're much bigger than a few people here and there. There's teams and teams and layers of them. And they also extend all the way into the Internet community, of course, because the Internet itself is a, a massive control system uh, down to the personal level even for those who think they're quite safe and happy and they're being awfully good. They're awfully good, they won't bother me. Believe you me, if you're quite happy being managed by experts and who are watching every single thing that you do, even predicting what you think, and, and because they're studying how you think, you see, then uh, good luck to you. It's a sad thing that Aldous Huxley said it. He says they'll come to us and... And they'll love their servitude, and that's what you are. Because it's not painful for folk at the moment, at the moment, you see. And that's the key, at the moment. Because it's to get really bad as we go into the depopulation austerity agenda under the pretext of climate change, etc. And this is no speculation on my part. I have their documents, I have their books of the big players that came out with the ideas and how to control us all. They're quite, they're, they love to publish it, their books for themselves because they're, they're, they have tremendous egos. And obviously those who want to manage the world and everybody in it have to have big egos. We've seen the tyrants down through history, and we call them that, luckily enough. But unfortunately we can't recognize them for today as for what they are because, like Madison said, they, they always take away your freedoms bit by bit. Uh, under the guise of keeping you safe. And that's really how it is. We're at that, we're, it's just, these are old techniques, you understand. And believe you me too, if they didn't want terrorism, they would not have caused the problems in the first place to take out countries across the Middle East. It wouldn't have happened. And terrorism could be managed much, much more easily in that case if there were any radicals at all. But uh, causing mass displacement across the world is part of the whole agenda, of course. And I was just thinking today, and I thought many times before too, where are all the far-left groups that were against wars? At least you march in the streets against wars. Where are they? Who, who has switched them off? Because they all follow leaders, and their leaders know what they're doing, and they take orders from higher authorities too. It's also interesting that these groups, heavily well-funded groups, because we're in a new Soviet. The true new Soviet is more Soviet than the old system was, because Soviet means rule by council, basically. An NGO type to deal with appointed commissars to manage a certain area of society. We have lots of them now. We've got more, more than the Soviet ever had. And the difference with the Soviet Union is they appointed them, the leaders of them, I should say, to manage them. We have them called non-governmental organizations, and we have thousands of them. That also, um, most of the, the big ones anyway, are all funded by our government, our tax money, for changing society completely, and, and managing society too. And they're also augmented by the massive funding from the big foundations. 
I, I did so many talks years ago about the foundations and what their functions really were. And it's true, the richest people on the planet direct where we're going in the world and how we'll act and behave, not right down to population and how to manage the population and even how to coerce the population into accepting eventually mandatory sterilization and things like that. All the way back to the days of Malthus. And don't forget, we've done this before, and we're still doing it in other countries. We call third world countries. We pay for it. But what they want to do across the world, and that's what globalism is all about. If you notice, again, the same groups who do not protest the war against the wars and the displacement it causes are the first ones to champion the end of, of nation states, which is Marxian, of course which, of course, is also the globalists, which is the capitalists at the top, who own all. It's all, it's all the same system. And the trick of running the world is to create different, different uh, not just sides, but factions within sides, and they're all fighting each other. And they never come to, the, uh, to understand that uh, the dialectical process leads them to the conclusions or, or to the points where uh, those those at the top actually want them to come to change. You can't get change without conflict. If you've got a happy, say, stagnant population, as I like to call it, and you want it to change, it won't change. It's quite happy the way it is. So you, you create a dissatisfaction for, for a segment and have them go at it with the other group. And eventually you'll, you'll get a synthesis coming out of it. And that's what the whole Trotskyist doctrine was basically based on, was the Galen dialectic. But today we have the, the true Soviet system. We're unelected, but appointed by governments, NGOs. They're running our lives through climate change and so on, and sustainability groups galore. There's thousands of them across the world. Sustainability. Well, guess what sustainability is? Sustainability is all about too many of you. That's where, Forget all the other stuff. It's to do with you. <laughs> And they have charts out of how much it's going to cost the world and, 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 and how much carbon you'll cost for every child that comes into it and how many things that child will need growing up and food, clothing and yada, yada, yada. And that's all done through this magic religious act, you see, because it's all a religion to believe in it, you see. A magic act of deciding how much carbon and energy you're costing the world as they make up these wonderful algorithms to work out how much you're costing the planet, basically. What a farce this is. You need an awful lot of faith to believe in this religion. Because it's a farce, complete farce. Although you might say it is a religion in a sense, and it definitely has a plan, and it definitely has, and it demands worship. It demands worship. It's completely intolerant of anything against its own agenda completely intolerant, and even has those within the structural parts of the system and schools and everything teaching the same plan, and it will tolerate no contrary opinions to what's, what is mandated. Completely intolerant. This is not a happy system coming in, folks. And it's not new. It was predicted a long time ago, in the 1800s and 1700s too, yet you had characters coming out, and you eventually had Thomas Malthus and about population reduction, and you had uh, th that continued through eugenics and Darwin, you see, and all the way into the different plans of sterilizing people in America 
and they did it in Britain too, calling them unfit, and then across our parts of Europe. And, and then they brought up, they kept doing it after World War Two, in the U.S., and eventually it was partially, it's not quite stopped actually. Today it's wonderful when you think about it, because we'll, we'll all get up in arms about, well that's terrible, they could sterilise those people, but now they're talking about compulsory sterilisation for men and women to save the world. Nothing to do with intellect or IQ or anything, no, to save the world. If you're in a certain category, yeah, you'll be designated as for termination if, if you want to take sterilisation. And the amount of data that they published on this is astonishing to save the planet. And of course, that's the whole idea. That was the excuse they came up with to save the world. That It was either going to be a war, a massive long war that would depopulate the world to the rafter. And feeling that, they'd have to convince the public that you're in a war mode, which the war is, is man killing the planet. You're the enemy. You see, that's what the Club of Rome said. And they were given the task of finding an excuse to do it all. And all the big players were attached to the Club of Rome, even up to the present time, actually, and on the board of it, too. Quite fascinating. And at first they came out with uh, the coming Ice Age, and the top players uh, published books on it, too. And often these top players had relatives or even their wives on the board of the Club of Rome. Uh, it's a small world when you get into who, who runs it all. And then you have... The, the different government departments that are constantly creating new, new departments to study us and manage us, and then they farm it out again to NGOs and agencies and the private sector. Uh, you, this is the true, the true Soviet has surpassed the old Soviet system. And they couldn't go even go as far as this with indoctrination in school where they're reinventing reality completely with indoctrination that children are getting today. It's quite fascinating to see it happening and to, to study their papers and their techniques of doing it. It's quite something in itself. But what really is horrifying is the fact that they have no problem in lying, teaching an agenda with the use of lies and saying that lies are necessary, necessary to coerce the people along this agenda, again, to save the world, you see. And if that doesn't offend you, being lied to all the time about what their agenda is really all about. And of course, the agenda has got nothing to do with democracy. The Club of Rome has stated in their own, their own writings that, they, that democracy doesn't work. They want something harder. They, they want really a, a, like a fascist system. That's what they really admire, where the diktats come from the top and you obey at the bottom. Without any arguments, they, that's what they want. But what gets me too is the perfection you'll see in other countries that have been on the path longer because of their cultural society system. And China... This is not speculation. It's fact that the United Nations has published many documents on China to be the model state for the world to follow on everything that it does to manage the people, to train the people, to manage them, and so on. And China, and not just them, every major organization out on the planet there and countries have fawned over China in the past because... It's, it's the dream of the West to be like China. The West has a problem. 
and Margaret Thatcher and others have stated the problem. Those in power, in the past at least, had to give a semblance of acknowledgement to the complaints, of understanding the complaints of the public and sometimes acting on it and so on. That's what's called this this con game of democracy. It's always a bit of a con game, but they have to at least put a show on, right? But in totalitarian-type systems, and don't forget China is still called communist to this day with a very, very officious governmental system, and you have to belong to the party if you want to own a business. And the party literally is all-powerful. In fact, just in the papers now, they've got, I think it was the head of, was a Chinese man who was a head of Interpol, or if it was a Chinese branch, or, because Interpol is international, right? But he, he was found guilty of embezzling millions in bribe money. And, and that, that, kind of, that kind of corruption is, is typical with China, as it is with every other country. But China does, doesn't let that go. They really deal with it which, of course, a lot of folk outside China admire. <laughs> they, can, they deal with it when officials are corrupt. But the same token, China has come from a collectivist society. It's a very ancient system of, of ruling the people. They've tried everything. Even in ancient times, they had a socialist-type system. In ancient times, an authoritarian system, almost, a, 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 you might call it, a system run by nobility at one time too. They've, all, they've tried everything in ancient times. And so there's nothing new to China. But China itself, again, uh, generally uh, has a different system of obedience of the people to those in power and authority. So under communistic system, they still can have a lot of freedoms. They have a lot of the freedoms, even like music, etc. They can go to dances, they can, they can drink and that kind of stuff and buy their, their clothes, and, and commerce is doing well in China. Believe it, that's, that was, I can remember when suddenly China, supposedly, suddenly went, went to capitalist. And they had interviews in the streets and for the Westerners to watch. And Matsi Tung, they say, oh yeah, Matsi Tung would have liked this, this system where, where money is good, and, you know. It was a like night and day change. It was, it was as shocking as when they just announced that the Berlin Wall had come down in Germany, in Berlin. So uh, that's a kind of shock of those who'd, who'd lived through all this Cold War phase. And he's an arch enemy of capitalism, supposedly. And today, of course, it's the top. It manages more capital than the rest of the world combined, I think. And yet they're still communist. There's no, you have one ruling group, and that's all you've got is one party system. But at the same time, I understand, to an extent, the Chinese system, because if you truly want a, a, an advanced socialist system, you'll have a Chinese type, naturally, where the people will have a, a certain amount of freedom, but they'll be well-studied, just like we are here, like you wouldn't believe. And there may be even better like school-to-work ideas, uh, training youngsters for particular areas that they have, where, they, where they could excel, actually. And, as I say, they have, they have quite a lot of freedoms, but 
when you look at the social credit system they have, it's completely managed from the top down, which is coming, which is here too. In the West, they call it shadow banning at the moment, with with the behavioural insights teams nudging you and prompting you and all that kind of thing, and even punishing you to an extent. And shadow banning in the West, where, where you won't even know, you, you just notice that suddenly you'll find that very few folk are finding you on the net. There's nothing declared, you see. It's all done, and you'll come to the conclusion eventually with other people who are getting the same things done to them. But in China, it's direct. They're going by the Bertrand Russell scheme, and Bertrand Russell scheme was, was part of this global planning committee from the, the, the 1930s and 40s and 50s onwards. He was part of that global planning committee of how they've managed the public with a social credit system even. Um, they were thinking of a way where you'd all have money going into a bank. Now, now, we, now it's electronic, of course. And in, in the, the Russell system, the, the government could punish you by stopping you from getting money to pay your rent or money for food and so on and get you on your knees, basically, until you repented and apologized and promised to obey and all that kind of stuff. This is how it's done. It's very simple. It's treating you in the way you treat an animal. It's animal policy, basically, training policy. And this is the system we're in today because it will not tolerate any other opinion and any other ways of looking at things except the authorized way. This, this attitude is incredible because when you go back into Pavlov, what do you think Pavlov was up to? Do you think Pavlov was, was trying to find a way to train dogs? Huh? No, it, it was to, to find how to put and instill into people, all creatures, because they classify people as being just the same. With these massive, you know, rep- repetitive punishment techniques and and fear techniques and so on, and and w- which is very similar to what they tried to do with the CIA and MK Ultra, where they would literally shock the people with with uh, electroshock treatment, basically, uh, coupled with massive doses of LSD until to depattern the brain, and then they would rebuild the person. Literally, that's what it was about. Well, in an advanced system of socialism, you don't, you, they've already done it because they've got the children young and indoctrination is, is very strong. And if the yoke, this is the key to it, the, if the yoke is light, if the burden is light to an extent, and you give them the rewards, just like an animal, you see, then they will come to accept it and, and, and it isn't that bad and so on. If you look at the social credit system, which is just what's going to come here, it's already coming here, actually, it's probably... Taken here with a lot of people already, in fact, who are cashless, etc., who did everything on their phones, and who will tell you, I don't mind if the government's watching everything and doing and taking notes of what I do. I don't mind doing nothing wrong. Well, that you're already trained. There's no, there's no difference between that, that person and, and the one in China. There's no difference. So it's already happened, you see. Once it's happened, if you, if you can get that particular generation growing up, uh, for another 20 years, that's, that would be the normal for everybody then. That's, that's chilly. It's so simple to do. If you give the little freebies, I mean, that's what got me too, it's the little freebies they get. Little points and rewards, you'll get that with social credit systems. And you've already been trained, if you've got yourself a points card for, for grocery stores or pharmacies, they've already trained you. <laughs> it's the, the mousetrap, you know. 
if you take, do so many, you get so many ear miles or, or so many of this or so much of a discount, you're already trained the same way as a communist social credit system. That's, that's how it's done. Huh? And, and you get little things through into your email, how you've been a good customer. You're good, good again, you see. And you're good. Goody two-shoes, eh? And you feel all smug and wonderful. I'm, oh, wow. You see? But they'll also start... Like they do in China, to to warn you if you've done made a wrong choice in something. They've already floated the ideas here. We're we're it's the same. We're in the same global system, folks. All this stuff with China is different. We're we're no. It's a one global system already. The trick was to make you believe it, that that it wasn't. <laughs> As you became all the same, and years ago, I remember reading articles on the radio show where. They talked about doing battles against sugar and so on, and they'd, they'd, they'd actually send it to your iPhone or to your, or your email and, and, and give you little cautions, like naughty, naughty. Well, notice you're taking too much sugar because you're buying more at the, at the grocery store because everyone's cashless, you see. And, and then eventually, of course, it goes into the healthcare system. It's already there. Where they've had years ago, they've had, and you still have them every so often, uh, how in bioethics, how to manage the, the cattle. That's the public. We, we truly are like cattle now, honestly. We're animals. And how you train them and so on. And it's your own fault if you've got problems related to weight, for instance. That's what they're telling you. Right? And they said they'd even refuse folk down the roads to treat them if things were self-inflicted. It's an amazing system. It really is. And it's, when you see it all, you're part, you can see it all around you as part of your system, but you, you can't connect the dots. But it's all connected. If, if you've done a little bit of looking and studying and seeing what social contracts are all about, and they're calling that now social contracts again. It's, it's just amazing to, to live through this system as it's perfected and brought in step by step, and how folk adapt to it by the day, by the week, by the month, by the year, without a questioning, no questioning at all. That's what's fascinating to me. You'd really hope that there'd be, there'd be more people that, that say, no, hey, no. But again, all studies have shown that there's only a small minority of people in any generation who are indignant enough to say no to whatever it happens to be. It's always the same. And they know this too. But it's like getting back to, to what's happening. As long as you, the yoke is light, right? And you play the game, and you do what you're told, and you'll like, and you'll even adapt your behavior and your vocabulary into being politically correct. Awfully, awfully good. Yeah, I'm awfully, awfully good, right? Goody two-shoes, and, and then you, you'll be patted on the head. And they might give you a little freebies here and you for being an awfully good citizen, you see. Well, you see, that's not democracy, folks. That is not democracy at all. And democracy is not supposed to punish folk who won't be part of, of the oneness of it all. Democracy is a variety of opinions and a variety of even ways of behavior. And in seeing things and how... I used to like meeting people, and, and it's true, England had a, at one time, had a, a tradition of oddball characters, 
that would work in their back sheds and, 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 and invent things. And it's true, you'd, you'd meet oddball characters who were into oddball things, and they'd make stuff and invent stuff. And, and it was more than a hobby, it was what they lived for, basically. And that was fantastic. And you'd say they're all oddballs. And they'd probably all disagree with each other about whatever they're making and comparing them and all that. But that and, and but they might but they didn't come to blows about it. it. It was interesting a society like that. It really was. And that's how it should be. You, you cannot really, really have a free society unless you have um, tolerance. And tolerance is the right, as Orwell said, basically. To say what you want to say, like two and two is four. Not, not what you're told to say. It's so sad when we're really in this incredible boat of political correctness, which is completely intolerant and it's definitely not democratic. And with, with the, what you're seeing now is the massive, it truly is hatred from those who are ruling it right now. You feel it, it's probably like people sensed before the Bolsheviks took over Russia and the mass slaughter started. It's the same kind of feeling you have with, with, with fanatics. Most of them are, who are trained to be fanatics, they've been radicalized by, by very clever people above them. They never know that themselves, but they're completely radicalized. They have no tolerance at all. It's not a good time to be alive and going through this if you're still an individual. You will go through it. We're going through it now. And it's when you step up and step up into the scientific management system that the H.G. Wells wrote about that he wanted to come in. He was part of it too, of course. He wrote a lot lot of books on non-fiction on how to manage this system. It's an old system. It's many centuries old, this, this whole agenda. And the coming collapse, financial collapse, which is designed to come, it's all part of it too, because it's planned that way. <laughs> you understand, a, a system that's backed by nothing, there's no gold or anything backing anything uh, that's out there. Everything's run on debt money and IOUs. You trade IOUs today. That's what countries have been doing forever, trading and giving out IOUs. It's a complete joke. And, and those who control and run the money, uh, which is central banking systems, it's only one system, really. That again, the private club in London, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, preceded by the, the Milner Group, Lord Alfred Milner, and his group, to bring in a global society. Money is all part of it, and the wealth of the world. They had no problems going into Africa, and getting the war started with the Boers, and in order to get the gold and, and, and diamonds. That, that was part of it, for themselves. And that's also why... Their agent in the States, Rockefeller, one of their agents, said that competition is a sin. He wasn't being facetious, he was being honest from his point of view. They believe, as the rulers of the world, the richest people on the planet, they had the right to take over the wealth of the world and dispense it proportionally to, to all those down below. They didn't believe in democracy, but they, they did know they'd have to use this thing called democracy to get everybody initially to go along with it. 
you remember the farce of when the American troops went into Iraq and you saw it on news clips where the, the soldiers were, were, were swearing at them, at the, at the Iraqis, saying, you, you stupid, you know, uh, we've come to give you democracy. You don't have democracy in your own country. America is supposed to be a republic. It's democratic within its own system of laws of a republic, meaning it can't be upset or changed and altered. Well, what happened to that one? <laughs> but why? Why is this farce supposed to work with other countries that have never known of it? Because, well, it's that other countries know it's a farce. They know it's a farce. But it's never been so obvious as today. It's in your face. And it's angry. And it looks upon everybody, regardless of your age group, as a ch- you're all children, naughty children, bad children. And the, the reason the anger is there and, and the threat behind it. Now, here's the key is the threat. You feel the threat everywhere. It's to make you play the game and do what you're told and obey. That's what it's for. It's not a good time. And it's going to get a lot worse, believe you me, a lot worse. Now, let's touch on a few of the articles, like this one here. It says, um, in stores, secret Bluetooth surveillance tracks your every move. And it goes into shopping in your favorite grocery store. And you approach the dairy aisle, you're sent a, a push notification in your phone. 10% off your favorite yogurt. Click here to redeem your coupons. And you considered buying yogurt on your last trip to the store, but you decided against it. How did your, your phone know? Everything you're, everything you're doing is recorded. And literally, it goes through all these algorithms. It's all, it's not like they're spending billions of dollars just on you, you see. The algorithms are so advanced today that they have super cray computers can do billions of people at one per second, actually. That's how precise they are. They can manage us all. Anyway, it says... So your smartphone was tracking you and still got uh, your location data, paid a shadowy group of marketers to use that information to target you with ads, and recent reports have noted how companies use data gathered from cell uh, towers and ambient Wi-Fis and general positioning satellite, satellites are global. But the location the data industry has a much more precise and unobtrusive tool called Bluetooth beacons. I'll put this up for those who care, you know. Because your technology is not there for your benefit, really, it's, it's not really not. Uh, you are being trained in Pavlovian style, and you don't even know it. And like, as, like again, like Aldous Huxley said, he said, uh, you know, you, you come to love your servitude, you're a servant of the corporations who run and, and rule you. And then the unholy alliance between DNA size and facial recognition. This is a kind of repeat. I remember doing one years ago on the same kind of thing. And uh, so it's technology that was once only seen in dystopian science fiction, rapidly affecting real life. Two means of collecting personal data, DNA databases and facial recognition software are forming an unholy alliance and the privacy implications could be devastating. Privacy concerns surrounding DNA and facial recognition aren't anything new. And as the popularity of DNA genealogy websites like Ancestry DNA and 23rd Me increase, so do questions over who has access to that data and how it will be used. They use <laughs> the, the schmucks hmm? who, who jump in. Oh, yeah, I, I may be related to royalty. i got to find out, you see. 
then send them all the, the, the data which they know about who their grandparents were and all the rest of it, and great-grandparents, and then their DNA, and then they do searches, etc. And out of that search, they'll come all their sisters, their brothers, their mothers, fathers, everybody's, their health, you name it, you know, any medical problems that, which may be genetically caused and so You're given all that data, huh? You understand data is power to these people. That's why they're after it. And of course, they sell it off too to to insurance companies and believe you me, employers. <laughs> employers get it all through. Uh, the big employers they they have agencies that uh, can get all this kind of data from from them and pay for, it, of course. But uh, they can then turn people down. You'll never know why they turn you down. It's because they've got your, your your medical histories and what you're prone to, not prone to, and all that kind of stuff. You see. So, as I say, the schmuck who, 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 who falls for it ends up putting all the rest of their family and siblings in danger. Huh? There you go. So it says, genealogy sites have been making the news of late, mainly for concerns over how personal data is used and who has access to that information. Recently, GDmatch, which has more than one million genetic profiles in its database, decided to stop providing information to police without user permission. To police, you say? Last month, the site faced criticism when it allowed Utah police to use the database while investigating a violent assault. Prior to the change, GED match allowed police to use its data only for rapes and homicides, reports Bloomberg, it says. And it goes on and it says, and of course they're all doing it, folks. They're doing it. Mm-mm-mm. And then engineers are figuring out how to match DNA to faces and databases. There's quite amazing stuff from China again, who are way ahead in all this stuff with, with the facial recognition. They literally can, can on YouTube, I think they, they, have, uh, they even have some documentaries on how advanced they are. Where they show you the facial recognition techniques and how it's instantly measured all, all parts of your face in, in precise little millimeters and all that. They know exactly who you are, where you are, instantly. And it reads on the computer. A whole crowd, so all, their, all their names will pop up above the little people in the crowd. And that's them. And there's a movie out too, I think it's called um, Anon, about that. Getting you used to the idea about it. So This, this is your totally controlled world, folks. So the, it says a team of engineers just built an algorithm that scans through a database of images and selects the faces that could be linked to the DNA found at a crime scene. Could be linked, right? Until they're uh, predicting what someone's face looked like based on DNA sample, has read scientists, but it's getting easier for them to use samples to filter the right face from a database. As an international, here again, team led by researchers at KU uh, Leuven has shown. And their findings were published in Nature Communications. And I'll put these links up, you know, you can, uh, it's, it's contained in this particular article here. So they go on about it too, and different press releases, other links, and so on. And it's in this one, it's contained inside this one article for those who care about it. Most folk don't care, they know it's happening, and they don't care, but I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, 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 you see. I've got good point systems for the stuff that I buy in the stores. And, and, and they even congratulate me for making the right decisions on my purchasing. Getting back to talking about China, um, in China, your social credit system will also give you warnings if you're eating too much meat or the wrong kind of meat or something like that too. You see how it's done?
were spending money on me buying cigarettes. Because yeah? even then in the, in the streets, they can actually see you smoking instantly, know where you are, who you are. And, and, and that's it. And you get a little warning, maybe initially a little warning. And eventually, if you, if you, if you continue, you get bad scores. And if you get bad scores, you have less access to where you can go inside the country or even inside your own town or city. And certain places will be banned. You won't be allowed to get through certain doors. They'll read you instantly, and you won't get. They won't open for you. This is your. This is your. As I say, remember, it's not a democratic system, folks. The choices are all, all recommended, allowed choices. It's a narrow band of them, and you get appearance of choice, but it's a narrow, authorized band of them. And also, it, it, right down to your phone calls in China. If you phone someone inside China, uh, and the person, if they've got a bad credit rating or whatever it happens to be, and it's a social credit member, it's your behavior. It's a behavioral credit system. And uh, it will, a voice will come on the phone before you speak to the person saying that this person has a bad uh, social credit rating. To, to, to warn you as well, to shame the person. Shaming is a big part of controlling the population in, in the social system. And it's getting worse and worse here, of course. Big time. And me saying it isn't going to stop it. I'm just saying it because I know it's going to happen. <laughs> and at least I do know it's going to It's been happening too in some malls. and They've, they've tested it out in some places already for over the last few years, in fact. Anyway, it says here this, this could be used for different purposes, this DNA and so on, and facial recognition and special software and so on and so on and so on. And, and don't forget, too, it's also do eugenics with your history, your family history, your DNA history, any probable possibilities. This goes into the, the whole area of Gattaca, the movie where those who are genetically enhanced where the, the, any possi- possibly, possibly bad genes, including allergies and so on, might affect you, are removed and the better ones put in there. Well, I can do the same. You understand how they can... If you study farming and, and stock breeding and you study eugenics and you study eugenics society in America and Cold Spring Harbor... Remember, the big lab there that was set up for eugenic purposes for humans. They actually brought in the American Farmers Association and Stock Breeders Association for advice on how to literally change the people themselves, just like they do with cattle. Well, now, of course, with cattle and pigs and all the rest of it, they've got artificial insemination, and they literally alter, uh, take out the genes again in the, in the semen, huh? in the sperm, and they can substitute other ones too and implant it with, with other ovums and so on that are also enhanced or taking the bad bits out. In other words, you're creating what you want to be a designer person as they do a designer cow or a designer bull. That's how it's done. And a lot of folk are already domesticated in the system. They'll say, oh, what's wrong with that then? Yeah. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Well... Maybe for the ones who say that, actually, there's nothing wrong for it. <laughs> They're quite happy. They're already changed. Eh? They're domesticated. But for the folk who are not, you're unique as a person. See, it's the uniqueness of individuals that must be destroyed in this advanced, advanced totalitarian, socially run system. And that that's the target of it all. That's anathema to conformity for the social system. 
So standardization is almost what they get coming out of it. And what do you think teachers are paid so much money for? Huh? You can tell that they're not sending, churning out children who are well educated as far as knowledge about the world and, and, and different sciences, but they certainly are indoctrinated with uh, their latest PC social engineering. You understand that? Well, that's why you pay teachers an awful lot. And, and Stalin said that <laughs> you've you got to pay them an awful lot of money because they are the first line to indoctrinate the children into the system. Nothing changes. Anyway, so I'll put this, this article up here for those who care about it, to see about it too. Most folk out there remember, and a lot of them who are listening, already are cashless. They don't use cash at all. And everything, they don't mind even being monitored because they're goody-goody and... Uh, and they'll be, obey and, and be good and, and see all the right things in conversation and so on. And, and, but there are those who, again, who, who don't. They, they like being an individual and they like having, having choices in, in, in life, you know. Another thing too here is from face to DNA, new method aims to improve match between DNA sample and the face database. There's another article too. And then Amazon's recognition software lets cops track faces, and here's what you need to know. Most folk don't care, eh? So business organizations and, yes, law enforcement agencies are already licensing that software for their own use. That means you don't need to use Facebook or buy a a face-scanning iPhone or a fancy video doorbell from Google-owned Nest or Amazon-owned Ring in order to f- for facial recognition to be a part of your everyday life. With recognition, it's with capital R and a K, R-E-K, uh, maybe it's already is being used. And maybe you aren't okay with that. Civil liberties groups such as the ACLU have already raised concerns about the speedy adoption of facial recognition technology amongst U.S. law enforcement agencies and the potential for its abuse, particularly amongst immigrants. Well, we may not just against immigrants. It's for everybody, for goodness sake, and people of color. Everybody's at risk here. We're equal opportunity victims when it comes to this. It's the whole planet, for goodness sake. Anyway, many, including some of Amazon's own employees and shareholders, want the company to hit the brakes. The controversy caught the attention of Congress last year, and now with the Senate recently proposing a bill that would limit businesses from collecting and tracking facial recognition data without consent, it seems that recognition might be in for a reckoning. No, it won't be. It's already been here for a long time, actually. There's a whole whole bunch of things going on that you have no idea about. And it says, what does exactly does Amazon recognition do? It says it makes it easy to add images and video analysis to your applications. You just provide an image or video to the recognition API, and the service can identify objects, people, text, scenes, and activities. It can detect any inappropriate content as well. There you go. And it goes on and on and on, but I won't read it all. You get the idea. In a major DNA testing company sharing genetic data with the FBI, there's another one too. It's, there's so many of these articles, really. Folk don't care. Most don't care, eh? But, and again, who gives the permission for all this to happen in the first place? All these are, companies are, are, are licensed, you know, that, that we're talking about here. They're all licensed by government. Decision by a prominent consumer DNA testing company to share data with federal law enforcement means investigators have access to genetic information linked to hundreds of millions of people. There you go again. Family Tree DNA and early pioneers of the rapidly growing market for consumer genetic testing 
confirmed late Thursday that it has granted the Federal Bureau of Investigation access to its vast trove of nearly 2 million genetic profiles. The arrangement was first reported by BuzzFeed News, it says. And it goes on and on and on again, too. And that's how it is, isn't it? But it's all meant to be because your governments, as I say, license these companies. They can't just go and do that without permission. Of course, that's how it works. And then the Japanese sign up for DNA matchmaking as country faces demographic crisis. So you see, here's a plus thing. Oh, isn't it nice? Uh, it's a demographic crisis. And it, and it goes into uh, uh, the scene is a typical blind speed dating event. That's what it resembles. 13 women and 13 men seated on either side of a bamboo screen in an upmarket Tokyo restaurant, chatting in pairs on a strictly timed three-minute rotation. But the doctor hovering on the fringes and the scientific documents held in the participants' hands, however, offer a hint that this is no ordinary dating event, for everyone attending has undergone a DNA test in a bid to find their best romantic match. Welcome to the world of DNA matchmaking. And there's other articles in the paper today too about Japan and how so many of the young folk there too, just like they know, you know, they don't have to even sterilize you. Even though the West is going sterile, and not by coincidence, it's mandated folks. But they don't even have to do that because Galton Darwin was quite right, Charles Galton Darwin. He says, you know, if you, if, if you give them enough material goods to, to not just purchase, but to want, more of them to want, 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 uh, then they'll forgo having children. They won't even get married. Well, that's, we're already there to an extent in a lot of the countries. So the material wants outweigh any other natural instincts or drives. And Japan is no different than any other country in that respect. And they certainly have a, a good lifestyle there. It's expensive too. And they want all this the same. They actually, they have more things to, to electronically probably to, to, that they want because they're ahead of the West. We're, we're churning out uh, different, different goods and so on. And they're mobile nomadic items, as they call these, all the different electronic gizmos today. They say, too, their work ethic in, in Japan, put so many hours into a day working, that they're too zonked out, too, to even uh, go out at night and often meet partners, etc., that's another part of it too. So your lifestyle, you understand there's many ways to dissuade you from having children. And they're all known, they're, they're all understood by geneticists or, or eugenicists. Generally, eugenicists aren't geneticists, by the way. They know darn well that economic concerns are a big, big thing to do. If they may make you live in a, in a very expensive system where it's, it's hard to get money for, spare money for anything, then they can bring in, of course, uh, dissuade you from having children, or even dissuade, if you're pregnant, they can actually pretty well force you into, uh, into abortions, in a sense, because how can you afford it? And they discuss this in all their, all their, their, their manuals on management of the populations, and universities, etc., so you're coerced. You really don't have a lot of choices in this system. It's a very um, precisely managed system, economically, socially, and so on. And you're coerced along a whole bunch of roads that you didn't. Really, you would never have picked yourself if you had a different system altogether. And real freedom, you, you, you wouldn't have gone that way. So I'll put these links out too. And then, then I, I was reading this article too, because you'll, you'll find that We've always had, we should say that, not we, but those that then in government in the UK and other countries in the West who lived through the Cold War, they had to have a good pretense of democracy 
as long as you had the Soviet Union. And it's true. They, they kept you poor from all the world wars we'd had and so on in, in the West, especially Britain. And they literally did uh, plan to keep you poor and austerity and for a long time. But at the same time, they didn't mandate about your behavior so much, about uh, what you had to think or believe in or whatever uh, during that time. So you had a bit of freedom. And they, they said that if the Soviet Union wasn't there, that the West, including Britain, might be more totalitarian itself on its own public. And that's very true. In other words, it was a sham that the power always wants to control you. Always. There's always a bigger, bigger purpose to, 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 to the government than what you think it's there for. Especially in our system. It's a very old global system that was planned and, and introduced and even used wars to bring it about. So we're not just stumbling down through time and things just happen. And, but the government will, will give you a bit more freedom to stop you rioting at home during an austere time of financial instability and so on. And so they'll let you off with a lot more and let you get off steam. And they don't dictate to you as, as much as they do uh, once there's no opposition. Uh, to. So you always need another country to look at and say, oh, gee, well, that wouldn't happen here. You see, that's, that's what you always hear. Isn't it? That would never happen here, uh, really. I mean, Bertrand Russell said the same thing, eh? He says every country is taught that they live in the best country in the world. The people are. And they'll, they'll tell you the best healthcare system because they keep telling you the best healthcare system. And so on. And you believe the propaganda. All countries do it. So this article here is that China, we'd like to hit China because, because we're not Chinese, you see. It says China is harvesting organs from a Falun Gong prisoners and potential genocide, the tribunal says. It says uh, the China Tribunal of Found Crimes Against Humanity were committed against the Falun Gong and the Uyghurs, they call them. It says that Falun Gong is a spiritual group based on the meditation that China banned 20 years ago. Beijing repeatedly denied accusations that forcibly takes organs from prisoners of conscience. Well, they say it's still going on, you see. So, so China, we're saying that China bad, right? We're saying that China bad. Well, don't forget in the West here, uh, under, and I've looked at bioethics and this whole new science that burst on the scene a few years ago, you see. When suddenly, on, suddenly on, on newspapers and so on, and television apparently too, you had professional bioethicists. Yeah. See, see, none of you have any ethics at all. You wouldn't know an ethic if you fell over it. But professionals who are trained in bioethics and situation ethics, you know how many folk, would you, or four people on a boat after a shipwreck, uh, a lifeboat, and uh, you're on a food, who do you kill first and eat or throw over? So, I mean, these folk are trained in it, you see. And so your bioethicists work with the economists and they work with the governments uh, and, and they decide with all the data there how much they can save by having you killed as opposed to treating you for an illness, depending on your age, your physical condition, your social status, etc. They won't do this to rich, important folk, believe you me. But for everybody else, it's fair game if you, if, you, if you get clocked into their hospitals. No kidding you. You put down for, for or, or, uh, organ harvesting after they offer you the euthanasia pill, right? Which saves them a lot of money. 
that's where we are, folks, in our wonderful democracy. <laughs> you know, the, the real people's system. <laughs> what a joke, eh? So anyway, we have to look at China and look at them and say, oh, they're taking organs and so on. And, uh, and then you have places like Canada that, um, yeah, I, I read the articles the last couple of weeks that uh, Canada's been, and actually more than that, with offering euthanasia and then uh, harvesting. Uh, the, the guy who's pushing it, in fact, in Canada, this, uh, this doctor, also is the guy who who is the top. I think he's definitely running some organization for harvesting the, the organs as well. Well, I think it's a conflict of interest somewhere, isn't there? I've heard about making, making a good business and a profit for yourself, but that's a bit much, isn't it? Hmm? But it's always presented that they're doing it. They're all they're doing it on your behalf. It's to help you, you know. Yeah, there's an awful lot more they could do to help you and use the money rather than have you bumped off. And not, not all illnesses are, are terminal, you know. And even terminal illnesses can be stretched out a long time with, with, and give a lot of life to the person who wants it, right? Who wants it? And the people can, obviously, uh, decide what they want to do, as they always have decided, without mandating it from... When you hand this power to government agencies, you're in trouble. That's what I'm saying. You're in trouble, folks. So stop looking at China and blaming them for it because they're quite open about it. It's all a profitable system here in the West. And Canadian Blood Services releases first set of national guidelines for organ donation after medical assistance and, and after dying, it says. Yep. Government can't be given that kind of power. Government you can't trust. You can't the people, the public are supposed to watch and control government, but we don't have democracies, folks. You also have the mass migration organizations on the go, from the United Nations, of course. It's interesting, this, this, this undeclared, this semi-declared but undeclared officially <laughs> or a system of the elimination of the borders of countries, meaning the elimination of nations, is quite something when all these... Uh, well-funded non-governmental organizations, thousands of them across the world, are all heading in the same direction to suddenly just get rid of borders, you know, the old, the old communist system, which actually was run and managed by the top capitalists like Lord Alfred Milner for the British Empire, because he helped create the British Empire. And it's not conspiracy, you know, nutcase stuff, it's, it's documented in his own writings. And in Carol Quigley's stuff and so on, in the Anglo-American establishment. So you got Ontario and Canada, for instance, cutting red tape and supports investment and job creation. This is a, new, a news release, you see. And it's going to put money into uh, job creation, it says. But the previous article I was going to read was about um, um, Ottawa. In Canada picks 11 communities for pilot immigration projects, and Sudbury near me is one of them, of course. So it's, it's, a, it's an immigration project. The excuse they're given is that it's, they need to get people to, to do work because there's not enough young folk, I guess, left in, in this, these areas. Well, the reason there's no young folk here is because there's no work for them. So why can't they just put the money in for the people who are already here and won't leave homes? Then, can, then they can stay here in their own areas. You see, the, 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 their excuses don't jive with reality. 
for what they're doing, but they never do. But anyway, they give you a complete list, or an obviously complete list of the, 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 these areas for bringing them in, for testing similar immigration projects. I've tried it in Atlantic Canada as well. They've got some too planned for Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and Alberta, and Clearsholm, and so on. British Columbia, Kootenai, and Vernon, etc. So anyway, it's, uh, it's quite something. And that's the excuse they give, is that they have to bring in folk to do work because the young folk are just not there. They're, well, they've left because there's no work here. Put the money in here and keep them here. Why not do it? There's different agendas at work, I hope you understand, for different reasons. And people are used. All peoples are used. And also, uh, in this other article, a transatlantic working group seeks to address harmful content online. It's a censorship, one of these censorship committees again. And it says the dissemination of misinformation and disinformation in politics has been around for a long as democracy, but the weaponizing of it and its viral proliferation and the manipulation of the voting climate during the U.S. and European election seasons are compelling a more urgent focus on the issue on both sides of the Atlantic. And similarly, as incidents of terrorism and hate crimes spread across the United States and Europe, digital platforms, governments and civil society are all grappling with how to address abuse of the Internet from hate speech and violent extremism without chilling freedom of expression. Well, the whole point is to end uh, freedom of expression, folks. As you all know, it's a censorship organization, this one here. So this Transatlantic Working Group, or DWG, project of the Annenberg Public Policy Center, it says, of the University of Pennsylvania, in partnership with the Annenberg Foundation Trust at Sunnylands in Rancho Mirage, California, and the Institute of Information Law, affiliated with the Faculty of Law of the University of Amsterdam, in addition, the Embassy of the Kingdom of the Netherlands in Washington, D.C., has approved a grant in support of the research and public outreach of the TWG. It's interesting to find out about all the other foundations that are funding it and the tax money as well. So again, it's, they're deciding what will be appropriate and acceptable. And it all has to fall in with a global agenda, naturally. It isn't just about being nice to each other. It's much, much bigger than that. It's a social credit system too, of course. Of course it is, folks. Courses. Bolton, the, the, the man of the people <laughs> in the States, eh? uh, the, the, the bulldog for wars when Bush was in, of course, and he helped plan the wars in, on, on Iraq, etc. He went over to Israel and uh, he's, he's over there meeting with Netanyahu, which is a, a worrisome thing, really. Everybody knows this too. And because uh, he's made his views very, very open at Bolton. He arrived in Israel on Saturday as military tensions escalated between Tehran and Washington. Speaking in Washington Saturday before heading to the U.S., uh, to the U.S. presidential retreat at Camp David, where he said he would deliberately, deliberately on Iran, U.S. President Trump said the American government was imposing new, new sanctions. That's extra sanctions on Tehran, meaning new, because they've been doing it all along, you see. So anyway, um, Bolton's over there, and it says... He'll meet with Israel National Security Advisor Mir bin Shabbat and Russian Secretary of the Security Council Nikolai uh, Patrushev. He says, nice to be back in Israel, looking forward to meeting with Israeli PM Netanyahu tomorrow and my counterparts from Israel and Russia. 
So uh, he's a scary guy, Bolton. He's 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 got history out there. He's quite open, and he's a war hawk, all right. And well, it's like again Groundhog Day. This whole thing with with the, the Iran right now, including the the threat to 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 attack them by the U.S. after that drone went down. Um, and then calling it off, I think, is a tactic. But you see, no one would believe them if we went straight to war after a drone went down. We've had so many cons before with these wars, just one after the other for years, for 20-odd years. Actually, it's more than that. When deep up to Gulf War One, Desert Storm. That's almost 30 years. 30 years of warfare in the same areas. And we wouldn't believe it again, you see, if it was, if it was my all-out war on, with one of the, list, the listed countries they had listed back in the 90s, with the usual th- things given. So I think they make you think, they're trying to make you think it's all real again, you see. Or maybe maybe Donald did just call him off again, or they could have attacked, but maybe, maybe he's been pretty good. And it was making it all real, like a drama, where, where they build up even further for the big, big attack. What to see, because... Trump's made it quite quite plain that he's not going to go along from the beginning, even before he got in uh, to the office. Uh, he's not going to, he says it's been quite plain, he, he won't accept Iran's treaty with Europe and so on, and the one that they signed with Obama. So there you go. It's, maybe you'll find out why, why Trump's real purpose being in there is, is, is really, has really been, of course. And I, I think it wouldn't matter who was in, because one would, take, would do it a bit slower, perhaps, and uh, Trump might just hurry up a little bit. Maybe that's why they got him in. Who knows? But uh, I don't think the people really have a choice. And it's one big agenda, one big global agenda. It's quite simple. And then you have Netanyahu, where he said to, Bol- uh, to Bolton, it's time for the U.S. to recognize the Golan Heights on it in Israel, it says. And uh, so it's, it's like repetition almost from the previous times. So Trump's announced major sanctions, etc., for Iran. And then you have, let me see here now, I want to get through some of these articles. This is an interesting article. world is seeing the greatest monetary policy experiment in history. And that's from uh, Rothschild himself. It says, um, Jacob Rothschild, low interest rates, negative yields on government debt, and quantitative easing quantitative easing, are part of the biggest financial experiments in world history, and the consequences are yet unknown, uh, says the RIT Capital Partners Chairman Lord Rothschild. This is their own company, one of their own companies, of course. And the six months under review have seen central bankers continue with what is surely the greatest experiment in monetary policy in the history of the world. We are therefore in uncharted waters. It's impossible to predict the unintended consequences of very low interest rates with some 30% of global government debt at negative yields, he says. Mm. So he says there's trillions of dollars uh, really just hanging in the balance at the moment. And I'll put this up as well. And, and I, I know it's planned, it was always planned to, to use financial crisis too to get changes along for this global system and consolidation of more power into global system, you see. So that's how they'll use it, and into austerity as well. I'll also put up Global Compact for Migration, for those who don't know what it is. It's for United Nations to do with mass migration across the world now, and the different reasons they claim uh, for it all. I've got some uh, PDFs on it as well. 
And again, the scariest story, or the global population could hit 10.9 billion by the end of the century. The UN predicts, they always predict scary stuff. But they shouldn't worry about it because according to their own predictions, we'll all be underwater long before then anyway. <laughs> so there you go. Eat, drink and be merry, eh? But I'll put this one up too. They love scary scenarios because we don't listen to them otherwise, you see. And industry must commit to halt all future fossil fuel extraction. There's another one here. And meet Mr. Sheldon Huber, the climatologist to Pope Francis. This guy doesn't believe in God. I remember doing an article a few years ago on him. But he's the advisor uh, on climatology for the Pope. And he's a real, real, this guy wants, you know, maybe even down the road sterilization and so on too. It's quite, quite amazing, uh, this, this advisor to the Pope. He's denied it before, even though he's printed stuff and he denies it. It's quite interesting, but there you go. I'll put this one up for, for those that's, that want to, to read it. It's, it's really something, honestly. What a world is turned upside down, isn't it? Isn't it really, eh? Right is wrong, wrong is right, and yada, yada, yada. Quite amazing. It's quite, it's quite something to see how, who they use to push. And, and again, to this particular guy... Uh, the, the Pope's advisor is also a member of the IPCC, the International Panel for Climate Change, at, at the United Nations as well. See, uh, he's a big promoter for for sustainability because it's, it's it's all they do is sustain. The whole excuse of whatever they're using is to cut your population down. For it's always been that, always under any excuse at all, and they hit on the climate. That was going to do. Well, this is a big player in it too. Quite a character, eh? but he does believe in Mother Earth and stuff. But he doesn't believe in God, uh, so I'll put these articles up for anyway. Wants it, and then another thing too is to change on society and, and decriminalise so many different things. But it's one thing for adults to debate decriminalising prostitution; it's an entirely another to promote it as a fulfilling career choice to young girls. So this is to do with an article, and uh, it says in a Teen Vogue magazine, I guess, promoted a column to, by a doctor calling for the legalization of sex work, generally go unremarked upon, but a similar argument appear across the media landscape and even the Democratic presidential campaign, it says, it would generally go unremarked, but for her characterization of prostitution to the young readers of the magazine as a mere career choice, as valid as any offer, that's where we got their attention to it. Eventually, you see, it'll be intergenerational sex. That was on the calendar for quite a long time now. All taboos, all taboos sexually have to be destroyed. I'll also put up Europe and also Britain or England, London, has refused to give Venezuela the gold that they have in the vaults there. So Maduro, their elected president, is stymied in a bid to pull 1.2 million, or billion, 1.2 billion of gold from the UK. That won't be all, but they can't even get out. So, it's, um, there you go. So much for international cooperation and laws, eh? <laughs> and the Vatican's concerned to allow married men to become priests in remote parts of the Amazon in a historic shift for the church. So, I guess they'd have to be married and then they, then they, they go through to become a priest. But these are some of the articles I'll put up in a few PDFs as well for those who care about what's happening. Sorry for, for going through it all in a kind of rush, but uh, 
there's way too much to give you a lecture on it. And as, as I say, uh, for those who are interested, they always check up on on the articles I put out there and links and so on to, ver- to verify them. You've got to verify them to start with and at least ponder them, what they're about, uh, to make your own mind up about them. I don't believe in just grabbing things out of thin air and, and uh, I just like to, to give you, I like to give you the, the evidence for them, obviously. And then you have to think about things because it's, it's a sad system, isn't it? When the effects, that, that the scientific tyranny that, that uh, Bertrand Russell said they could bring in, he said, and he, he said, if there is to be a tyranny, I prefer it to be a scientific one. And, and he said it would be it would be a real nasty, nasty system. It, it, it wouldn't mess around; it'd be tyrannical. That's where we're going into, folks. And you're seeing it now, very authoritarian, and it will not tolerate uh, dissent. And if you have alternate opinions or even thoughts on things, you'll be punished with your, your social credit system, and you won't um, be able to even feed yourself. That's your real. Tolerance in this ultra, ultra scientific socialist system. Sad but true, isn't it? But it doesn't surprise me because they printed about this. They wrote this stuff a long time ago, and and there are outlines for it. And and what I've said tonight is only is only touching the surface of the of the the, the depth they have actually described. They're going to take it to, really, and they mean business. And yes, they, they've always been here a long, long time, centuries working towards this agenda. And every facet that's in conflict doesn't know to get used for a a different outcome to the agenda. And it's very easy to radicalize people, very easy, especially young people. If you go into into history, the first first crusade towards the Holy Land was not by knights, if you understand your history. It was by Peter the Hermit, who was a monk. And he could he radicalized the children with incredible stories, and and children are very impressionable. They, they can see right and wrong just so clearly, black and white. That's it, right and wrong. They don't. There's no gray area for them at that age. And they can also put into their heads visions of utopias and heavens. And Peter was awfully good at that. And the the, the first crusade was called the Children's Crusade, led by Peter and drummed up by Peter, and they went off, and eventually, of course, thousands of them were sold off into slavery in the Middle Eastern countries, and others died, and, and others were killed. That's never been forgotten. It's easy, easy. And, and Stalin said it too, Lenin said it, you indoctrinate the children. Indoctrinate the children. Again, getting back to the teachers, it's so important appeal so much because it's a first step for indoctrination into what you want them to believe and what they believe is how they'll end up behaving that's what it's about folks at least for those who are following this and who like to at least know what they're living through don't let it kill you don't let it burn holes in your stomachs with ulcers just accept the fact that that you know it's happening and it's, it's interesting to observe it when you understand why it's happening, how it's happening. And it's interesting to see the incredible intolerance that you've only read about in previous areas of history in the past as it resurfaces again.
remember by the books and discs and donate to me at cuttingthroughmates.com. I'm Alan Watchman to your Canada, and it's good night to me, your God, or your God's school with you. <laughs>